the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thank you for joining us today for On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rhody Fisher. As a Christian mom for over 40 years and a teacher of the Bible in public schools for 25 years, Rhody will take you on a journey with some of her friends as they share their experiences and testimonies from their walk with Christ. You'll see that you are not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. Welcome to On the Road with Jesus. Now, here's your host, Rhody Fisher. And now, here's the continuation of last week's On the Road with Jesus. I'll give you a couple of examples of that. Scripture? Scriptures. Oh, okay, yeah. Of two different laws and uh, how they practiced it different than the Pharisees. In Deuteronomy 6.9, it says, Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. God commanded through Moses that the Jewish people take the words of the Torah, of the law, write them on parchment, and put them on their doorposts. It's called a mezuzah. The one that you put at the door. You put it on the on the doorpost of the door. It's 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 a small oblong box. Right. And and if you go to a Jewish house, you may see it. Right. I see that all the time. Yeah. Well, the Pharisees said, the way we observe this law is we take the scroll, we roll it up, and we put it in a box. Okay. The Sadducees said, no, we take the scroll, we keep it open, and we post it open on the doorpost, not closed up in a box. Okay. They took it literally. They actually wrote the words on. When you went to a Sadducee house, the scroll was there to see. Open. And you could actually read it. Okay. Because although we know what's in the mezuzah, if you didn't know, you couldn't tell. Mm-hmm. Right. It's all it's it's covered up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there's another, there's another interesting law, which, by the way, I believe is the subject of a mistranslation. And I want to talk about that one. It's very important in Exodus. Chapter 35, verse 3, the standard translation of that verse is that you shall kindle no fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. A prohibition against starting a fire on the Sabbath, which is kept to this day. The Orthodox Jews go so far as not even turning on lights because they believe, you know, the filament and a light bulb is, is fire. And uh, when we were in Israel, a lot of the hotels, the the elevator wouldn't even work on 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 they, those days. They applied it to almost every single electrical device, okay, including elevators. Yeah. So in Israel, as you said, the elevator would go from floor to floor, so nobody would have to push the button. Right. And and that way, um, right. And and that way they had that. But what's interesting to me, knowing the original Hebrew, is it doesn't say kindle. The actual Hebrew is lo savaru esh. You shall not burn a fire. The word for kindle would be lo sadliku esh. But it says lo savaru. The actual original Hebrew says you shall not burn a fire. Now the Pharisees, along with the translators of the original Old Testament, 
said, burn means light. So if the light is already burning, that's okay. So if you turn the light bulb on before the Sabbath, you can use the light, right? Thus the elevator going to every floor that you program Because it was started before the Sabbath. Yeah, okay. So the Pharisee said, you can light candles before the Sabbath and use them on the Sabbath. The, Phar- the, the Sadducee said, no, it says thou shalt not burn. You can't even have a, a, a fire burning that was lit before the Sabbath. So the Sadducees, you know, the Sabbath starts Friday night at sundown and lasts until Saturday night at sundown. On Friday night, they would sit in the dark. Yeah, yeah, because I understand they that. they took the literal translation. That's a difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees that we studied in the rabbinical school that was not. Um, is not evident and not talked about in the New Testament. Now, another difference which the New Testament does talk about Mm -hmm. is that the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection or in the afterlife. And in Matthew 22, verse 23, the Sadducees, kind of trying to trap Jesus and mock him, said, the same day the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his mother, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. The lever of marriage uh-huh. which we just talked about. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and third brother right down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since they were all married to her? And Jesus replied, you are in error because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given into marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Yes. And it goes on, and it shows that Jesus gave such an excellent answer to them. Yeah. So, that's thank you for clearing that up. That's really good. Now, one more thing I want to say. Okay. Both groups, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and this is my last point about this subject, were both corrupt. They had both been corrupted. They were both had turned into political parties seeking power and control. Sounds familiar. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, it says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Both groups were bent on power. Both groups did not like Jesus. When the uh, temple was destroyed, the Sadducees ceased to exist because their power came from being the ones in control of the temple sacrifices. Okay. The Pharisees saw an opportunity to take power, and what they did was they expanded the law and extended it and ended up being the number one dominating power force within the Jewish religion. Jesus, on the other hand, did not, was never corrupt, never seeked power or fame or fortune. He taught a message of love and salvation by grace through faith. Yes, he did. I I want to tell ask you um, the genealogy. Yes. Um, you you know you may not know this answer, and I don't, I'm not sure if I asked this question the last time you were here, but um, I know that DNA is a real key thing. Have they been able to split the DNA to know 
whether you're from the tribe tribe of Judah or the tribe of Levite or any of that? From my understanding, what I've read, it's not that specific. Okay. They can tell if you're a Semite. They can tell if you've come from the Semite group, which includes the Jewish people. Okay. And what's interesting to me is what I read was when they did DNA tests on the European Jews, what we call the Ashkenazi Jews. Yes. They found that many or most of the Jewish people they tested had paternal Semitic DNA. Oh, but the maternal DNA was not. It was European, primarily Roman. Oh. And the story goes that when the first group of Jews came to Europe, it was a group of men seeking business, seeking work. And they married Gentile women. And they supposedly converted them first through the Jewish laws of conversion, mm-hmm. and then their children were raised Jewish, and that's where the Ashkenazi uh, group of Jews comes from. So it's kind of funny because the Ashkenazi Jews then would all be basically legally converts. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, oh gosh, that's interesting. Um, I I want to be, I want to, I, I, I'm not sure if I'm going ahead of you, what you wanted to talk about or not, but I wanted to talk about um, the adulteress. Um, That's a very interesting story. Okay. In the book of John in yeah. chapter 8. And 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 I find it interesting that it's called the adulteress because there's two people, you know, committing adultery and they always kind of blame the woman, but I, I wanted you to kind of clear that up for us um, with using the Jewish law. Of course. Um, I found that very interesting because when you read the story on the surface, and I can may I read from the Bible, sure. Uh, sure. John chapter 8, verse starting with verse 3. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought into him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, To Jesus, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What saith you? They said this tempting him that that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking them, he lifted up himself and said to them, He is that without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Now, it sounds like a, like, like Jesus displayed a great amount of mercy and grace on this lady. Yeah. But one reading it could say, didn't Jesus just oppose the law? And we know Jesus kept the law. So the yeah. question is, if the law says... As it says in Leviticus 20, verse 10, if a man commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, both the man and the woman who have committed adultery must be put to death. Right? So it would seem that Jesus was going against the law. Uh They even said she was caught in the act. And in Deuteronomy 19.15, it says, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. So what's going on? 
Well, the truth of the matter is, if you understand the Jewish laws and customs and traditions, especially as it pertains to the rules of capital punishment, killing someone for violating the law, there which are two she is things, guilty which, of, they're which saying. looks like what's going on here. There are two elements that have to be present in order for the court to carry out an execution. In Hebrew, it's called edus and hasra. Edus means witness, witnesses, and hasra means warning. According to Jewish law, the actual act has to be witnessed by at least two people, and before the act, they have to warn the person, did you know that what you're about to do is going to cause you to have a capital punishment, you're going to be put to death. And the person has to respond, yes, I know that, but I'm doing that anyway. This is clearly the Jewish law. No law of capital punishment can be executed unless the person is witnessed and he verbally acknowledges and accepts the punishment, which would mean that executions under Jewish law are very, very rare. And would really only be execu- and the only people actually be really ones who are really rebellious about their act. Okay, so if you execute someone without these two things, it's an act of murder. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this lady clearly did not have the warning. Right. Okay, she may have been caught in the act, but there was no warning. Because of that, these Pharisees had no right to execute her. Not only that, but they weren't even legally allowed because Rome was the dominant um, government force and they took away the Jews' ability to execute. Plus, they did not have the full Sanhedrin there, the 72 judges there. Right. It was just a, so whichever way you look at it, if you, know, if you know the Jewish law, these Pharisees were trying to kill this woman. And as you asked, why did they only go after the woman? Right. Well, I don't know for sure, but a speculation I have is maybe he was one of them. Maybe he was a Pharisee. Maybe he was a politically important person. That's could be, but that's taken a little leap. It doesn't say. It's a leap. I'm not yeah. saying that's yeah. what it says. It's yeah. just a thought. Now, this ties in with another story in the Bible, and that is Jesus being silent in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was arrested. As it says in the book of Matthew, in chapter 26, verse 62 and 63, then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. Could it be he remained silent so that they would not have the component of warning? Yes. An acknowledgement of warning. That's interesting. Which would have taken the Pharisees' legal authority away from executing him. So when they turned Jesus over to the Romans for crucifixion, they were committing attempted murder, and when he died on the cross, they were guilty of murder. I find it ironic that the very people who were claiming that they wanted to uphold the law were trying to uphold the law by breaking the law. And not just any law, but one of the most important laws, thou shalt not murder. Right. That's, they were murderous. That's how corrupt they became. That, that was the top ten, you one know, of the top commandments. Ten. <laughs> one of the top ten. Okay, um, I, I, I now want to kind of switch gears a little bit 
And um, I, I'd like to talk about um, the festival, the festival um, gatherings. Sure. And uh, specifically, um, you know, bringing the people into Jerusalem. Yes, absolutely. We have in the Jewish law, it's actually in the Bible, the commandment for all the Jews to gather in Jerusalem at the times of the three festivals. And I will read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16. Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose. At the festival of unleavened bread, that would be Passover. Okay. The festival of weeks, that would be Pentecost. And the festival of tabernacles. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. This law was very instrumental in the story of Jesus. Jesus did his ministry, triumphantly entered into Jerusalem, was crucified, and was resurrected all during the gathering of the festival of Passover. He had the biggest audience possible. Right. At that time, they did not have internet or live streaming. Right. The only way for a lot of people to see something was to actually be there. The law of the Torah, the law that came from God through Moses, enabled Jesus to have the most witnesses. It wasn't like it happened and nobody was there and you heard about it, but nobody really saw it. Everybody saw it. Everybody saw this happen. So every Jewish person in the world. Every Jewish had, man and most Jewish women. Had to come to Jerusalem for the festivals and, and witness yeah. Whatever. And there was a large influx of people from other nations, too, Gentiles that came. Okay. And it says that in the book of Acts, if you read in Acts um, 2, 5.11. Um, actually, I'm going to move down a little past 5.11. It says, um, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and other parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arab, they were all there to see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at the time of Pentecost. So these gatherings were not just the Jews. Gentiles came too. I would say there was millions of people there, if not tens of millions. Right. And and, and the law enabled Jesus to be crucified and resurrected in front of 5, 10 million people, whatever the number is. Wow. And that was the Internet of the time. I mean, let's face it. Everybody that was everybody in, in, in Judaism was there. Right. So we see that the law that God gave through Moses to the children of Israel, to me, is, number one, a system designed to take a non-faithful people to become a faithful people and to enable and... Um, Accent, you know, um, and, and and show the world the Messiah coming to Earth to save the entire Earth. That to me seems to be two of the very important purposes of the Torah of the Jewish law. Yes. Okay. Quickly, as we're getting to the end of our time here, I'd like to talk about um, the Mount uh, the Mount of Transfiguration. Definitely. And and. And especially how it relates to Jesus, Moses, you know, that whole scene on the top of the mount there. Definitely. Um, 
I guess it's um, Matthew, Matthew 17. 17. I'm going to read from verses 1 through 5, and then I'm going to skip down to 10 and 11. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Okay, so we see the appearance of Elijah and Moses with Jesus on the mount. I'm going to skip that last little part because of time. Okay. No, we're we're good on time. Okay. Um, So let's first talk about Elijah. Mm Mm-hmm. In Malachi, in chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, at the very end of the Old Testament, we are told, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I give him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction." So there was a prophecy that Elijah came before Jesus, and we learn that Elijah came in the form of John the Baptist, right? Uh But not only did he come in the form of John the Baptist, who announced the coming of Jesus, Elijah himself appeared with Jesus on the mountain to doubly fulfill the last prophecy of the Old Testament. So, why was Moses there? Now, Malachi does mention, remember the law of Moses, my servant. But there's something more to it. If you read in the book of Numbers, in chapter 20, and I, this was a time when God commanded Moses to, to talk to the rock to bring forth water. The first time he said, hit the rock. The second time he said, talk to the rock. But Moses hit the rock anyway. So in Numbers chapter 20, verse 12, But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I gave them. Moses was punished for his sin of not listening to God. His punishment was he was not allowed to enter the land of Israel. But on the Mount of Transfiguration, Through Jesus, through the salvation and the forgiveness of sin, through Jesus Christ, Moses finally entered the land of Israel. The Mount of Transfiguration was in the land of Israel. Yes, it was. Even the sin of Moses could be forgiven through Jesus. And Moses was finally allowed to enter the land of Israel. Only through Jesus. That is a really good picture. Isn't that something? Yes, that that's really a good picture. Um, I I'm gonna have to cut you off here. Um, well, uh, let me just say that um, yeah, we're really tight on time. Um, I do want to put it out there for anyone that what we've been talking about the salvation through Jesus Christ as far back as time began. Um, in Genesis, in the beginning, Jesus was there. And so I, 
I want to ask anyone that has not given their hearts to the Lord, made a commitment to Jesus Christ, now would be the time. And so I'd like for you to, if if you want to, invite Jesus into your heart, I would like to say a sinner's prayer with you. So um, follow me if you mean it with your heart. Dear Jesus, forgive me for my sins, my past, present, and future sins. Lord, I pray that you would come into my heart and wash my heart as clean as snow, as white as snow. Father, thank you for the commitments. And Father, I pray that um, you would lead a, lead these people that have made a commitment to a good church, a Bible-believing church, and Father, that they would get into the Word. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, gosh, Carrie, Carrie, thank you so much for being here. Oh, a lot welcome. of information um, in, in a very short time. Thank you for joining us today. Um, and it's On the Road with Jesus. And again, my name is Rody Fisher. Um, thank you we'll for being you next here week. today for thank On you. the Road with Jesus with your host, Rody Fisher. Every week, you'll hear experiences and testimonies from her and her friends as they share their journey with Jesus. You'll see that you're not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. If you have a question about today's show, email Rody Fisher at rawfisher at ontheroadwithjesus.com, spelled R-A-H, Fisher, at ontheroadwithjesus.com, R-A-H-O-D-E with Jesus.com, or leave a voicemail at 951-817-0094. That's 951-817-0094. On the Road with Jesus is sponsored by Global Expressions Language Project. Learn more at asquaredlamps.org. That's the letter A, squaredlamps.org. Be sure to join us each week at this same time for more On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rody Fisher. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.